uh, the epistle of Galatians. And so if you have your Bibles tonight, turn to Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to look at, hopefully, uh, um, hopefully, amen, <laughs> hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hopefully we'll get through verses 16 through 21 tonight. Kind of touching on some things and summarizing that chapter so we can dive into chapter 3 and maybe before the coming. Roy don't have any, he don't believe any of it at this point. Uh, we'll get there, won't we? Um, but we're going to be looking at, at verses 16 through 21 tonight. And, and really just the, the relevance of it, not just then 2,000 years ago and addressing the issues in that church, but really you're going to see just how relevant those things are today. And how, uh, you've heard the adage, that the more things change, the more they remain the same. You're going to see something tonight as we dive into a couple of those verses. How the, the nomenclature of things changes religiously and even the, the, the methodology of the adversary. But really the, the, the sinister nature of some of those things are just the same. You can dress something up all you want to. Uh, but you, you peel back that veneer and you're going to find that those things are just exactly what they were to begin with. So let's read together Galatians chapter 2 verses 16. Through 21, it says this, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. That ought to get a bunch of amens just right there. Amen. That, that, that helps every single one of us. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by, faith, by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh, somebody say no flesh, will be justified. No means no. Okay? No means no, absolutely None. So, if you guys remember in our last discussion on the Epistle of Galatians uh, last week, we discussed really the expected results of being justified by faith rather than the works of law. You remember those three expectations that we have? The first thing was what? That you're going to have a we know, change of identity? Not a trick question tonight. I'll give you a few of those later on, but this is not a trick question. In other words, the expectation when I come to Christ, there ought to be a change of identity or the conditioned state whereby a person is specifically known or recognized. Folks, listen, I don't want to be the guy or have any similarities of those things that I was before I got saved. You know, uh, our daughter said the other day, she said, you know, made a, a comment, our, our daughter Johanna, who I affectionately call Josephine, she said, you know, you can take the, I'm trying to think how you said this a while back. You can take the, the girl out of the hood, but you can't take the, the girl out of the hood, but you can't take the hood out of the girl. I said, well, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creature. <laughs> and she swallowed hard and said, well, I guess you got me there. And did the whole Hillary look. And so there ought to be a difference in identity. There ought to be a change in who you are and because of who Christ Jesus came in your life. Secondly, there ought to be a change of destiny. Or there ought to be a change in the determined course of events for your life. I'm, I'm not going the same direction that I was before. I'm not headed in that place. I'm not looking to achieve the same goals or anything else. And thirdly, there ought to be a change in responsibility or the ability to live in accordance uh, with your new state or condition. So he doesn't just give you a new identity, he give you a new destiny, but he gives you the ability to actually do it. Isn't that kind of cool? He doesn't say you're different, and I don't got a new plan or a new uh, 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 outlook for you, but I'm actually going to give you the strength to do it. Amen? So it's a package deal for us. And so this is that power that we have that's associated with being justified by faith, by faith rather than by the law. And if you remember a, a week or two ago, we talked about we talked about the law. It wasn't necessarily just limited to the law of Moses, but it was any law, any principle, anything that we try to put as a substitute for what Jesus Christ did. Any set of standards that aren't the standard that was paid for us on the cross of Calvary. So our very best efforts, our very best hopes, our very best shot at morality or whatever else isn't ever going to be enough to justify us 
before God. We had an interesting discussion, this impromptu discussion, in the Raven Cafe the other day, and was talking about just what about folks that had never heard, that were just, they were innocent. So I think somebody used the term, I said, well, the problem is, is we use the term innocent. And I said, when we claim that people are innocent because they've not heard, I said, that has got to be one of the most arrogant statements that mankind can ever make. Because what that effectively does is deify man to a place of deserving something from God, deserving God's mercy, deserving uh, God's hope, deserving anything. And it humanizes God, and it puts God upon an emotional level with us. It says, well, if God was so loving emotionally, if God was so caring emotionally, then he wouldn't do this. Well, folks, uh, I, I kind of brought it and summed it up. I said, listen, God is God all by himself. God isn't some desperate person looking for followers. God isn't something, I, and, I, and I, I told him, I said, that's why there's more rejoicing in the presence of the angels over just one sinner. Because heaven, the heavenly host, those that dwell in his presence, that have a comparison to the, to the, the righteousness and holiness of God, they see the magnitude of God saving just one person. I think many times we don't. We don't see the magnitude of it. When a person gets saved, we're thinking, man, that was really, that was really cool, that was really neat, that was a, a great testimony, now let's move on. Do we not realize that when one sinner comes to repentance, there is a, a, a rising clarion call and a rejoicing in the presence of God? Now, when that happens in churches, that's real neat. Get them baptized next week and we'll move on. Folks, listen, I think we get arrogant in our hearts and lives. We don't realize the power associated with the righteousness of God, which is demonstrated and poured out for us upon the cross of Calvary. And so justification, or that justification talk about, is built solely upon the, the, the faith of Jesus Christ when activated and when we have believed in Him alone, apart from works, efforts, or reliance upon any law. So that message that Paul delivered uh, by faith was a powerful message because of how it is assessed and what it provides in us. So it's powerful because it was accessed through Jesus, the Son of the living God, who came down in the form of living, uh, sinful flesh and died that, that vicarious, that substitutionary death upon the cross. That's how it was accessed. And what it provided for us was just that benefit to be changed and transformed. Last week, you remember we read from Ephesians 2, uh, 8 through 10. You know that real, real well. That we're saved by grace, what? through faith, not a work, so that no one can boast. It goes on to say we're his workmanship. Whereas workmanship, once that happens, he's working in us. He's, the, he's that master builder that's, that's doing something foundational in our life, unto, created unto good works. And so there's a transformation that happens that enables us to go forth. So grace through faith, there, there's no justification apart from faith, and grace is powerless to transform us apart from faith. So justification, and I mentioned this last week, could literally be called the first fruits of God's grace. And so... And I'm, again, I, I always feel obligated to clarify this because so many times we think of grace in the Old Testament sense. In the Old Testament sense, it was what, Benjamin? Just the unmerited favor of God. It was something that was unpaid for. You know, God spoke to Abram out of the year of the Chaldees, and he believed God. Now, was Abram living this righteous life? Well, not really. He's probably a pretty decent guy, but there was nothing that he had that was salvageable. And so God spoke to him and said he believed God, and his belief or his faith was counted to him towards righteousness. Why? Because he believed himself. He believed that he was doing a pretty good job. He believed that he had been a stand-up guy. No, he believed what God said, and so it was counted unto him for righteousness. And so he received grace in the sight of God because nothing had been paid for. And so later on, as, as, 
as Abraham went forth and, and, and Moses was raised up and God gave him that Mosaic law and all these standards and principles, all at best the law could do was put off sin. It never could forgive or cleanse people. It just put it off. Why? Because it had not yet been paid for. It had just been put off. It had been a reprieve. So it would be kind of like being on probation that never ends. The wheels could fall off at any time. But when Jesus came, it's not just the Son of God, but as the Son of Man, the second Adam. And He came and He paid that price in the flesh, in the body of His flesh. He took our, 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 our griefs and our sorrows upon Himself. Now, it was no longer unmerited or unpaid for. It became paid for. And so now, grace took on a whole totally different concept. It became available to us. It became God's divine influence. And not just influence us simply from the outside, but through faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary, He came inside of us, and He brought a reflection in every single one of our lives through faith in the Word of God as well. So grace totally changed. It empowered us. And so that unmerited favor... All it could do was, was deliver man into the requirements of the law. You need to write that down. Old Testament grace, the best that it could do was deliver men into the requirements of the law. Because law, man was never declared innocent. He was just put off. His guilt was just put off. And so Old Testament grace could only offer limited participation in the things of God, which were the law. Wherein New Covenant grace offers full transformation through the blood of Jesus Christ. Folks, isn't that good news? That, listen, we're not just having some type of participation in the things of God, but we have a, trans a transformation through the blood of Jesus. Now, here's the trap, I believe, in modern times. is people, because they still see grace as something unpaid for, as something unmerited, they see the relationship that they have with God as just something that's in the distance. And so it's just participation, and it's never transformation. Amen. Folks, listen, until grace, until our relationship with God becomes transformational, we'll participate just as long as it meets some need in the natural. It can be an emotional need. It can be a, a relational need. It can be a, a need that kind of appeases the guilt that we feel. But folks, there's got to be something transformational that happens in that relationship. The law could never provide that. And so if we think that righteousness cometh by the law, we see this in Galatians, and the grace of God is ineffectual. There's no righteousness in the law. All the law does is invite us into a system that disproves how guilty that we are. And so it's powerful to consider that when we believe or we, we surrender the title, deed, the ownership of our lives to Christ, then He speaks to those things that are not as though they were. And so we talked about that, that justification. It's a judicial claim and a declaration that you're innocent. That it may not be a, a moral reality at that time. There may not be everything that, that says that you're clean. You may be working out those things of your life. But there's a declaration upon you that God says that you're holy. And so if God says that I'm holy, then what, is, what does He do? He gives me the ability to walk in holiness. But if God says I'm guilty, folks listen, it doesn't matter what I try to do. I'm just a wretched man and who can save me from the body of this death. But the second God speaks to those things that were not, as though they were, there's an empowerment. Just like the let there be's of Genesis chapter 1, suddenly there's an ability to be righteous because he has called me righteous. Consider um, Genesis chapter 1, two, uh, one through 3. Here's what justification through faith looks like. You know faith comes by what? Hearing, hearing by the word of God. Check this out. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. 
And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Okay? Folks, you know what that is? That's a precursor to redemption. That's what it is. You, you see it? God said, what? let there be light, and there was light. Most of you guys are familiar with John chapter 1. In the beginning, what? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Keep, keep, keep quoting. Say it was in the beginning. Keep, keep quoting it. Keep reading it. In him was light. And that light was the light of men. Okay? And so, consider our lives before coming to genuinely know Jesus. We were without form. We were void. We were confused. We were empty. We were useless. We were chaotic. We, we, we walked in an undistinguishable ruin. There was no pattern. There was no purpose in our life. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. There was dread. There was terror. There was this judgment that, that, that uh, enveloped everything about us. Then all of a sudden, that word was with God and was God. The same was in the beginning. All things were made by him. Without him was not, any, not anything made, including us. And him was life. And then that light became the light of men. So folks, really, it's just like in the beginning. Things, people, we shared in that light, that fellowship until sin entered in. And once again, it brought that darkness. So the word says, knowing that a man is not justified, here's our verse from last week, verse 16 in chapter 2, but by faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh uh, be justified. So, now I want to give you some, tonight, these next few verses are going to really uh, reveal some things that I believe have come up under an enormous attack from professing believers. Folks, listen, the battle, the toughest battle to win are the, always the battles that are from within. You know what I'm saying? I mean, because you can see the adversary coming a mile away. He identifies himself. It's very clear cut. But what about the battles that are from within? You look at, you look at the, 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 the address upon Galatians. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you would believe another gospel that's not a gospel at all? Now, these people didn't come and say that they were pagans. They'd say they came and they were providing just a little bit of the truth. But they were bringing the air. Look at First John. He's dealing with the Gnostics that came in and said, "Listen, uh, everything that's flesh is flesh. Everything that's spirit, spirit. You know what? You can walk in darkness and be okay in your relationship with God because it ain't going to matter anyway." So he dealt with that. What about in Jude? You know, you, you, you look at the exact same things that he, he dealt with. That you're going to have these these false teachers. He called them natural brute beasts. So you're going to see all those things happening. All of those attacks are from within. But look at verse 17 of Galatians chapter two. And listen to this. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? Then he uses the same word here in 2.17 as he uses in Romans 6.1. What does he say? God forbid. You've got to be kidding me. In verse 18, For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For through the law I am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Here's that... that that very familiar verse in Galatians 2.20. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not I that live, but Christ who lives inside of me. In the life that I now live, somebody say now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I told you there were some attacks from within. The first attack, and we see those, those believers uh, uh, here they were being attacked by the Judaizers, those that claimed to, to believe in the Messiahship of Jesus, but they wanted them to return to this, their roots. 
They wanted them to turn to their Hebrew roots, that messianic approach. That was the, the, the attack. And so what they did is in the return to the roots, they literally abandoned the fruits. You know, fortunately, those two words rhyme, and maybe you can keep that in your mind. Anytime we abandon the fruit for the root, what we've done is we've vacated those things that we're going to be judged by. What does it say in Matthew 7, 16? That by their fruits you will know them. Not by our roots. Folks, listen, I can go put a, a, a yarmulke on the back of my head. I can wear a prayer shawl. I can let my beard grow out. And I can uh, use the sacred name and, and say that I'm not going to call Jesus. I'm going to call him Mashiach, uh, uh, Mashiach, or, or whatever it is that I want to call him that day. And I, I can do that. And folks, it still be dead and be empty on the inside. Do you hear me? Why? Because in an effort to get back to my roots, I've forgotten the fruit of all of those things. Folks, listen, the cross of Calvary was the fruit of the great love that God had for us. That's what it was. It manifested all of those things that had never been approachable from that point. We don't have a high priest now who cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities and always tempted just like we are, yet without sin. Now what can we do? We can come boldly into the throne of grace and obtain the help that we need. Folks, listen, if I go back to my roots, I can't approach him like that. You hear me? There's a great veil of separation. But the good news is when Jesus Christ hung upon the cross of Calvary, me being crucified with Christ, that veil was torn from the top to the bottom. So I have access into his presence through the grace and mercy of God that was afforded me through the, through the blood of Jesus Christ. Why on earth would I want to back out of that relationship back into a bondage? Don't be again entangled in that yoke of bondage. Folks, all the law did was provide Bondage. And so I've known and countered, you guys have too, many people that have been really just as bewitched as the Galatians of Galatians 3.1 by the allure of a return to all that Hebraism. And, it, and it's, it, it's almost always without fail taking uh, them from their passion to reach the lost. Have you ever noticed, known people that had previously maybe had a passion to reach the lost and all of a sudden they go back to their Hebrew roots. And now they're so caught up in the roots that they're not bearing fruit. And that's what Matthew 7, you'll know a tree by the fruit that it bears. That's the carpos fruit. That's the reproductive fruit that only happens when we're walking in fulfillment of the Great Commission. So anything that takes me out of obedience cannot be righteousness. Do you hear me? And so almost without exception, the people that I personally know that have delved right back into the Hebrew roots, they're really concerned only with trying to, 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 to win the argument against non-Hebraic people. That's what it comes down to. They'll spend countless hours. They'll do all of these things. They'll exegetically try to beat you at your own game. All of this stuff. And they're many times the most isolated, the most miserable, and the, the, the least fruit-bearing people that you'll ever meet. There's no joy in that. Why? Because if righteousness cometh by the law, then the grace of God is in no effect. And I'm saved by grace. But folks, if I want to go back into the law, I find myself right back into the same bondage. And so what they've done is they, 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 they'll use some historical or, his, uh, or religious bondage and many times what they'll do is they'll offer it to some already professing Christian who would love to be busy with those type of things rather than feel a true sense of responsibility to bring people to the light of God's word through the preaching of the cross. So we know that. That's the attack. And so contextually Paul was dealing with those same type of things here in Galatians the effortness of these Judaizers, they taught a law to do things that seemed holy at the expense of walking in freedom that allows you to be holy. Folks, I don't want to seem holy and not ever actually be holy. 
You know, I don't want it to be all these outward things that people see. That's why John 7.24 says, don't judge with outward appearance. But judge the heart. Don't judge with all these things that people say. That's why God told Samuel when he went into the house of Jesse. He said, man, look at the outward appearance. Those things that you can do. Seeming holy. But man, you've got to look inside of the hearts. He called the Pharisees who kept the law. He called them clouds without rain. He called them whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they look great. But inside, man, they're, they're like wolves. They're like sheep. Uh, 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 they're like wolves in sheep's clothing. And so presently, religion has provided a second attack. So we see that attack then that has resurfaced, I believe, in the last 10 to 20 years. But now there's a second attack upon justification by faith by, a new, by adopting a new version. This is where you're going to pay attention. Because you've heard this so many times, but you probably never associated it with what the Judaizers were doing. The Judaizers were saying, listen, uh, you're, you're always going to be under the law. You're, you're always going to be in the yoke of bondage. The best, all you can do is keep these things and, and hopefully you, you can maybe achieve something one day. That's what they were teaching. There was no freedom in their message. So what has happened, there's something that has attacked justification through faith. And it's this new version that's wrapped up in a phrase that you've heard a million times. That I'm just a poor sinner saved by grace. Folks, that's the modern version of what is being addressed in Galatians. That is the new law that has reared its ugly head and held people in bondage. Now you're thinking to yourself, how do those things associate with one another? You're going to find that out tonight. And this is just really a repackaging of an old effort that thwarts the power of God to give us a new identity, to provide us a new destiny, and enable us to have a new responsibility. Because look what he said in verse 18 of our text, Galatians 2.18. He said, if I build again the things which I destroyed... I make myself a transgressor. What's another word for transgressor? Sinner. A sinner. I make myself a sinner. I make myself. That's a word that means, in the, in the Greek, it means a deliberate violator. I make myself a deliberate violator. One day, uh, I've, I've committed to uh, doing expository teaching through the book of Hebrews because there's so many tremendous things in Hebrews that it uh, really deals with all of these issues that we're talking about here in Galatians in a brunch, much uh, wider sense. And, you know, one of the things, we're familiar with the verse, and he tells us, listen, if we continue to sin willfully, if we become a deliberate violator after we've come to the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more a, a sacrifice for our sins, but a certain looking into judgment and fire indignation that awaits his adversaries. If I sin willfully. So somebody says, listen, I can't not be a sinner. That means I am willfully Allowing myself to fall into that trap. Folks, there's no sacrifice in that. But a certain looking into judgment. Why? Because the very second I say to myself that, listen, I can't help it, I'm putting myself back under an old law. Because that is old covenant grace. New covenant says you can't help it. You can do all things to Christ Jesus who gave you strength. And if I can't do those things, if I can't walk in victory, 1 John 5, 4, this is the victory that overcomes even our faith. I've become a transgressor. I'm now willfully sinning against the things of God. And I said, listen, I, I'm not uh, living as a living sacrifice. I'm being conformed to the image of this world, to the things that would appease this world. And I can't prove what's the good and accepted, uh, acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will is even our sanctification, even for us to be holy. And so 1 John 3 8 says, when, we, when people keep on sinning, and look at it in regards to. To, to what we read in Galatians 2.18. 2, if we build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor, 
Now, let's look at 1 John 3, 8. When people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, right? Who's been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. For if I build again, Galatians 2, 18, the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Folks, listen, Galatians 2, 18, 1 John 3, 8, we're talking about the same type of modus operandi. We're talking about the same type of mentality. So destroy literally means to break. It means to annul, to make of none effect. But more importantly, it means to untie or to unbind someone from something. And so he said, listen, the Son of God, Jesus came to unbind you from something else. Folks, listen. Thank you there, Speedy. <laughs> so anytime that we are rebound, what we've done is we've nullified the work of grace. Look at Jesus' mission statement. Think about this in, in Luke 4.18. He's quoting, obviously, from Isaiah 61 and 1 when he went into the temple and he picked up the scrolls. And here's what he said. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me, he has set me apart to preach the good news. Go into all the world and preach the good news, is what we know. That's our great commission. To the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom to those that are in captivity and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed. So the gospel was designed to set free from captivity. It's set free from oppression. And so it's to set free, it's not to put back into bondage. That's the purpose of the gospel. And so the law functioned merely as a means to identify one's captivity and oppression. That was the whole purpose of the law. The law could never set anyone free from captivity. All it could do is show you that you were in captivity. Think about Romans 7, 7 says this, Paul the Apostle speaking once again. He said, what are we going to say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. The law is not sinful. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would have not known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So the law was only designed not to set men free from sin, but to show men just how sinful that they were. But folks, what ends up happening is the law becomes a dead work. And that law can be, listen, here, here's the law. Here's the standard. I said, listen, the law is not always just a mosaic law. It's not always these Ten Commandments. not always the, 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 the hundreds of other laws that, that were added as an addendum to the law. But those are just principles and standards. So what about the law that says, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace? That's a standard. And so the standard is, is I'm always going to mess up. I'm always going to foul up. I'm, I'm always going to be in bondage. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's, I'm never going to be free. I'm just going to try and struggle. And Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. And so I'm really just like the old wicked, wretched person that I was. 
He's not made perfect forever those that are sanctified. He hasn't sanctified me by the word. I'm just like everyone else, but I just found a loophole. I'm religious. Folks, listen, are, are we really so arrogant to think that that's the best that the blood of Jesus had to offer? Are we, are we really so arrogant to think that Jesus Christ came down from His exalted place in glory and, and suffered what He suffered so that we could be just as wicked as we always were? Really, are, are we so arrogant to think that God was so desperate for followers that he just came down and he said, listen, just, 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 sign the, the, just sign the sign up sheet. Just sign the baptismal roll and you don't have to do anything. Raise your hand, repeat a prayer, and, but never be changed. Never follow me and you're just going to be as wicked. R really? Is that what we think that, the, that the, the precious blood of Jesus, the lamb that was slain before the foundation were came for? Is that really what we think? And so people quote, you know, they'll quote to you Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many times have you heard that when you're witnessing to somebody about being free from sin? All the time? But they stop before verse 24. Now everybody knows Romans 3.23, look at me, right? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Does anybody, anybody can quote without looking down at their, their, their Bible, Romans 3.24? Well, sinners certainly can't. We don't either because we're trying to argue the 323. We'll just keep reading it. He said, being justified, the next verse, being declared innocent freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, I have to stop at verse 23 if I want to be just a poor old sinner saved by grace because verse 24 changes everything. I'm, I'm, I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But something happened. When Jesus Christ died upon the cross of God, something happened. I've been declared innocent. He has spoken to those things that were not as though they were. And I believe Him. I believe whosoever shall believe upon me shall be saved. I believe. Shall be saved from what? Shall be saved from who I used to be. The weakness and the carnality that infested my life and my heart and my mind. Folks, listen, the church has got to move beyond Romans 3.23 and at the very least get to Romans 3.24 because all 3.23 does is just like the law did here in Galatians 2, uh, 16 through 21. It just reveals the nature of sin and the destitution of man apart from the declaration of God that makes us holy through putting our faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. Folks, listen, I I'm not the same person. I'm, I'm not just a man. Do you hear me? I used to be just a man. I used to be empty. I used to be lawless in my heart. I used to be motivated by everything selfish. But something happened when I got born again. It wasn't a religious experience. It wasn't that I joined the right club or followed the right messenger. Something literally happened and the person of the Holy Spirit came inside of my life. Folks, that ain't just a man. That ain't just a, a woman. That's a change and a transformation that goes way beyond just any information that I can gather in a religious sense. Man, I now have the ability to overcome. Why? Because he overcame death, hell, and the grave for me. And no longer does death have a sting. The, 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 the sting of death was sin. Folks, that's what it was. But now I have victory through faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. Folks, that don't sound... Like just the normal old sinner saved by grace. That's something that's been changed. So I've been justified, Romans 3.24, freely by His divine influence upon my heart through the redemption. You know what redemption is? It means to claim back. 
I have redeemed you. Isaiah 43. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You're mine. When you walk through the waters, you're not going to be drowned. When you go through the fire, you're not going to be burned. He goes on to say it in the beginning of verse uh, 17 of that same Isaiah 43. He said, listen, don't remember the former things that you were no sinner saved by grace. Or consider the things of old. Behold, I'm going to do something brand new. That Isaiah 43 is, is our 2 Corinthians 5 17. I'm going to do something brand new. Shall you not know it? I'm going to make a pathway in the wilderness. I'm going to make a river in the desert. You know who that is? Folks, you, when you believe what Jesus said, you become that pathway. You become that river that God wants to do to, to, to bring that drink to those that are, that are thirsty. He wants you to bring that pathway and make straight the paths, those that are on a crooked way. Folks, that's the promise that we have through Him. But people quote the Romans 3.23 because they'll say, listen, we were just sinners by nature. We were held captive by the clutches of sin. We were blinded in our hearts. We all fell short of the glory of God. We had no justification, no sanctification. So we have no glorification. And so folks, listen, we needed something or someone to reveal the sin, which was the law, but also to set us free from that yoke of our old nature. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. In light of Galatians 2, 16 through 21. Colossians 3, 1 through 11. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ. Raised to what? Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Do you have your sights set on the reality of heaven? I said last week that, listen... Heaven is the reality. All this stuff is just a product of reality. These are things that reality created. Since you've been raised to us, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Now listen to verse 3, Colossians 3. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you'll share in that glory. There's our glorification. Now look at verse 5 of Colossians 3. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Verse 7. You used to do these things. You once did these things. You formerly did these things when your life was still part of the world. In verse 8, but now. Somebody say, but now. but now. Now is the time to get rid of the anger, the rage, the malicious behavior, the slander, the dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have been stripped off from your old nature and all of its wicked deeds. So much, for I'm just the same old cleaned up, repackaged version of who I am. He said, I used to do those things when I was still part of the world. And he said, told me, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather put those things off. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Any man that loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because the love of the Father is in me, what happens? I don't love the world. I don't love worldliness anymore. Then he says in verse 10 of Colossians 3, he said, put on your new nature. When, when Jesus comes back? Is that what he's saying? After the great tribulation, or after the millennial reign, or after you're dead? As he said, listen, put on your new nature then, 
Because something's going to change. The cross is going to have more power after your heart stops beating. Or the, 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 the cross is going to have more, uh, more power after the time of the Gentiles has passed. Really? So the, what's going to be the transformation that's going to happen between now and the time that you're in heaven? Folks, listen. Jesus didn't say it's going to be continued. He said it's finished. And so when I walk in accordance with, with Galatians 2 and 20, it's finished. What's finished? My old nature, my old desires, my, 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 my old bondage to the things. It's finished. It's done. And I put on a new nature. And he said, be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And so, folks, listen, I can never learn to walk in righteousness until I'm willing to, to, to believe that I've been called righteous. Do you hear me? That's what allows me to learn those. That's when we talk about the process of sanctification. I believe in instant sanctification, but I also believe the process of sanctification. I believe that instantly, instantly, judicially, I'm called holy and righteous. That I believe that systematically through knowing my Savior, that I have the ability to walk in the, in, in the fruit and walk in the outward manifestation of that new nature. I believe those things. And he says, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, a slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives inside of all of us. Folks, there is the victory that has been purchased for us. That always sinner crowd is just like a Gentile version of the bondage-bringing Judaizer of Galatians. And so it's just like Peter and, and Barnabas. They fell into that trap. Folks, I believe that there's very many good-intentioned believers, good preachers, good pastors, good uh, folks that are in church that have also been victimized by the other gospel that is not good news at all. Folks, what's good news about I'm just perfect, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven? There's no good news to that. In other words, I'm in on a technicality. Where's the good news? And I'm just an old sorry sinner saved by grace. I'm still going to be just as wicked. I'm still never going to have the power to have victory any other day. I'm still going to sin all the time. I'm still going to be wretched. I'm still going to have perverse thoughts. I'm still. Where is the victory in that? Why should Jesus come down and pay the price that he paid for some sorry, terrible, non-transformational redemption? Folks, the seduction of Christianity has become the reduction of Christianity. Folks, either he's enough or the cross of Christ was in vain. Do you hear me? And so what gospel do you believe? Do you believe a gospel that's not a gospel at all that holds you in bondage? Or do you believe one that provides victory over those things? Folks, to those that overcome... I will allow to be seated with me in white raiment. Not to those that are overcome, but those that overcome. Then somebody will blindside you with, with 1 John 1 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You ever heard that? Well, the Bible says, well, the Bible says that. Well, the Bible says a lot of stuff. Right? That's why the Bible isn't one verse. It's not just Romans 3.23. It's not just 1 John uh, uh, 1 and 8. It's 31,101 verse, uh, verses in the King James Bible. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The, the, the context of 1.6 is, is the sin of always thinking that it's okay or normal to be a sinner. Folks, that's what 1 John, the whole of it, was written for. It's because these Gnostics came in they said, listen... You're always going to be just a poor old sinner saved by grace. 
And John, who would become John the Revelator, stood up and he said, Listen, not only who you think you are, but the things that we saw with our own eyes, the things that we touched with our own hands, those, the things that we heard with our that's what I'm talking to you about. I don't know who these clowns are that have come in later that don't have any direct revelation that are telling you can live that life, but here's what I'm telling you from the horse's mouth. If, if, if you claim to have a relationship with Him, but you walk in darkness... If you claim to have been transformed, if you claim to have been declared innocent through faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary, but you continue to work, walk in darkness, and you think that's okay, you are a bold-faced liar. We know what Revelation 21 8 says. No liar will go to heaven. Folks, listen. You're not lying to God. You're lying to you. You hear we're lying to ourselves. In a, in a deceived, bondage-filled world, the, the biggest lie that's been promoted through Christianity and been accepted is the old sinner saved by grace. Folks, I believe it's responsible for holding people in a bondage that's going to drag them to hell. And they're going to look up one day at, the, 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 at that lying, blasphemous preacher next to him and say, Why did you tell me that? Why didn't you tell me that God came to set me free from sin? Why did, why did you tell me that all I had to do is be religious and, and do nice things? And I, but, but I always want, why did you not ever warn me? Why did you not tell me that he wanted me to be holy? Folks, that's the full gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. He has anointed me to preach the gospel, to preach freedom to the captivities. Not to, to set at liberty those that are oppressed. Not to say, listen, poor old thing, you're always going to be in bondage. Poor old thing. You poor wretched thing, you're, you're always going to be in bondage to your old thoughts and your old life. Folks, listen, that's why most people that have been in church just can't get past sin. Because they've been conditioned for sin, not conditioned for sanctification. Do you hear me? Most people are more committed to sin than they are to sanctification. So as I tell you, they were more committed to the God of this world than we are to the God that sent His Son Jesus into the world. For this cause, for this reason, Jesus came, Jesus died. God sent His Son to destroy the works of the devil that holding on to bondage. Hebrews 3, 12-15 says this, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Okay? Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and and unbelieving. This is the same Hebrews that says if we sin willfully after we come to the knowledge of the truth. This is the same Hebrews that told those Judaizers that listen, uh, it, it's impossible for those that have, have repented, have believed, have tasted of that goodness if, if they turn back. They can't turn back to, to the law. Uh, there's, there, there's no sacrifice. There's, there's, there's no uh, uh, forgiveness of those sins. This is that same Hebrews that says that, that if the, the angels that sin receive the just recompense of reward... How shall we escape if we neglect so great of a salvation? Same Hebrew letter. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Anybody have an evil and unbelieving heart? Well, look what he says it is. Anything that turns you away from the living God. You must, some of you must, not it's a good idea, not if it don't hurt their feelings, you must warn each other every day. Do you hear me? You must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. You have got to warn each other every day. Why? Because the devil will not take a day off. You hear me? 
He will not take a day off. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Him. Folks, listen. Sin is that deceiver. I don't want you to be deceived by an evil heart of unbelief. Sin is the deceiver. Righteousness is not the deceiver. Folks, listen. The presence of sin uh, reveals a heart of unbelief. Folks, listen. You can tell somebody, listen, Jesus came to set me free from sin. I can walk in victory. You know what they'll say? You're part of a cult. How dare you believe that Jesus is who he said he was? How, how dare you believe that he did what he said he would do? How dare you believe that there's power in the name of Jesus? That, 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 that you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost is come. How dare you believe what the Bible says? You've got to be in a cult. Well, she said, that's the evil heart of unbelief. So people are more, cons uh, more, more, more committed to sin as the deceiver than righteousness as believers in Christ Jesus. John 8.32 says you'll know the truth. And what? The truth will hold you in bondage. Is that what he said? And the truth shall set you free. Jesus is what? The way, the truth, and the life. Right? And so the truth makes you free from the bondages and captivities of sin. Folks, anything that's not that means that we've walked back into an old bondage. That's what we've done. Now, we don't call it the law. We call it something else. But we certainly have walked in the same bondage. Romans 8, 1 through 15. This really echoes exactly what Paul's addressing. It's, it's Paul's revelation as well. And he said, there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who don't walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Okay? Who don't walk after the what? Okay, the flesh, but after the Spirit. Okay? So he's contrasting two things. L listen to this. Pay attention as you're reading the Scripture many times. He provided a contrast between flesh and Spirit. Now look at the next verse. Because he set the tone, the contrast, flesh and spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. He's contrasting flesh and spirit. Okay? And so the law of sin and death represents the flesh. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus represents that life. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. But God sending His own Son in the form of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, there's the law, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh are only mindful of the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, and it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then they that are in the flesh, likened unto the law, cannot please God. So what does it take to please God? It takes, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Anyone that comes to Him must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Not the law, not these things that we can do, but ye are not of the flesh, but of the Spirit, if so, the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. Not any man. Uh, now, if any man has the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Has not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, 
but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the Spirit that dwells inside of you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. We're not in bondage to the flesh, whether we call the flesh the law or something else, but to live after, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if through the Spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit... They are the sons of God, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear the law, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby you cry, Abba, Father. Here's our text again. But if we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found to be sinners, as therefore the Christ of the God forbid. But if we try to build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law, that I may live. There's that verse, I'm crucified with Christ. But listen, I'm alive. But it's not I that live, not the old wretched sinner that lives, but it's Christ who lives in me, who is tempted all like, always just like I am, yet without sin. Right? And the life which I now live, when? Later on in the great by and by, I now live in this body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in sin. Folks, listen. You're either going to believe the empowerment and the truth that Christ Jesus has given us through faith in what he did, or you're going to find yourself in a bondage. Now that bondage may be semi-moral. That bondage may go to church. That bondage may sing a few Jesus culture songs while you're driving down the highway. It may do all those things, but it'll never please God. It'll never please God. Because what it is, it's propping up something and presenting Something that could be akin to a golden calf, a God that you could follow. Isn't that what they said? When they saw that Moses had delayed in coming down from the mountain, they went to Aaron. They said, make us a God that we can follow. Make us a God that allows me to be just an old sinner saved by grace. Make me that God. Make me God that lives and acts and looks like me. Rather than a God that says, be holy as I am holy. Be perfect am I perfect. Folks, listen, all that stuff comes from believing, not what we see, but believing what God said. Do you believe what God said? Folks, that's what you know a tree by, the fruit of belief. Unbelief doesn't put any faith in what Jesus Christ did. You want victory? Start believing Him rather than 